This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. That was great. You guys can go ahead and grab a seat. Well done, guys. You nailed it. That was fantastic. Man, that, yeah, they really were good. Trust me, I was up here singing that song earlier today, and you are so lucky that they were the ones singing and not me. Uh, I want to let you know, uh, one of the reasons why we have such a great church community is because we have people who work with our kids. Do you agree with me on that? Is it good to have people working with our kids, helping them experience God, helping them engage with God? Yeah, it really is incredible. I want to tell you, those kids that you just heard are part of our construction zone ministry. It's ministry to 6 and 12 through 12-year-olds, and we have a couple spaces that we would really like to fill. Uh, if you know that kids are your calling, if you know that working with kids is something that God has just put deep inside of you, we have space for one lead teacher. We have a team that's all set up, and they're just looking for someone to lead that team, to lead these kids to help them engage with God. If you even have an inkling that, that that's what God has called you to do, and you aren't serving in that capacity, I want to encourage you, go out to the kiosks in the lobby, right in the middle of the lobby. You'll see construction material set up, and we want you to talk to the construction zone team. They have some information for you. They'd love to talk to you. But if you love working with kids, but you don't love being up front, we have a number of team positions open in the construction zone. So we have teams set up that are functioning well, that are firing on all cylinders, and they would love to invite you in. You can do behind-the-scenes stuff with the computers and the, getting the music going for the kids. You can be greeting. You can be doing name tags. There are so much that you can do. Our kids really need adults to be pouring into them. And I want to encourage you, and I want to challenge you. If you're not serving right now, Go talk to the folks out in the lobby. You'll see construction things. You'll see some toys out there. That's the place to go. Talk to our teams. Get signed up because it really is an incredible ministry. And we want to see God continue to move in these young children's lives. So make sure you do that. Well, like I said, we are really in for a treat today. We are in the middle of a series called Five Commitments of Extraordinary Families. Because the truth is, God wants your family to be extraordinary. He really does. He doesn't want you just to be ordinary. The, the, the reality in our society is that most families are just content to make it through, to survive, to get to uh, the time when they send their kids away to college and hope that their kids uh, won't hurt themselves, won't hurt other people, will become somewhat functioning members of society and won't move back in afterwards. But the truth is God wants so much more for you. He wants incredible love in your family relationships. He wants friendship. He wants support for each member and from each member. He wants the family to be a place where dreams are brought to the surface and exposed and encouraged and people live them out. He wants communication to be incredible in your families. And so we're talking in this series about what it looks like and what are some key commitments that extraordinary families have uh, together, they have in common. And the first one we talked about two weeks ago is that extraordinary families Put family first. Family is key. Now, we're not saying that it's kids. They don't always put their kids first. In fact, sometimes they have to put the desires of their kids on hold because for the betterment of the family, they need to do something else. But they put family first. The second key commitment of an extraordinary family is that extraordinary families are families of faith. Families that engage with God to experience God's best in their life. And that's what God would want for every family. And then today we're talking about something that may seem commonplace— That may seem uh, very, yeah, of course, I know that, but the truth is no one or very few people actually live it, and that is that extraordinary families treat each other well. Extraordinary families treat each other well. They have a 
kindness and a care for each other that goes beyond what we see in society today. Because really, that's what God wants for you. Uh, If you have your programs, you can go ahead and pull out your teaching notes. That'll do a few things. One, that'll help you follow along with me. The scriptures are on there. It's got some fill-in-the-blanks to help you connect. Uh, Also, you can take it home and you can look over the information that we're talking about this week. Because our hope as a church is that you will hear something on Sunday that you can put into practice on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and throughout your week. So be taking notes. And I do want to say one quick thing. If you're here and uh, you are not in the stage of having families right now, Maybe you are beyond that point, you've raised your kids, or maybe you aren't married, or you're married but you don't have kids yet. I want to tell you, this is an incredible series for you. The things, especially this morning that we're talking about, translate into all relationships. But really, each of us should be looking for family-type relationships where we can encourage and engage with people younger than us and people older than us. And we're going to talk about that in a few more weeks. So I want to encourage you, make sure you connect, make sure you get plugged in, and make sure you tune in to what God wants to say to you this morning. Last week, uh, my daughter Maddie was sick. She's actually gone again today. She had a high fever last night, and so she's home. And hi, Maddie, if you're watching on TV, I love you, honey. Uh, She's two and a half, and I promised her that I would talk to her through the computer, which she thinks is just incredible magic trick that I do. She thinks it's really fun. So, uh, honey, I hope you're feeling better. Um, But families, they bring out the best in us, and, and Maddie was gone last week, and it was really sad. I love seeing her at church. I love having my family here with me. Uh, But I knew she was going to be watching online, and so I did my best. I wanted to uh, do the the best that I could for her, for you guys, for God. And I got home later on that afternoon, and I gave my wife Maria a kiss, and Maddie a kiss, and our little baby boy Landon a a kiss. And I said, Maddie, did you see me on the computer? She looked at me, and she said, Daddy, you preached a great sermon. Now, if you were here last week, you remember that I did the announcements last week. (laughs) That was my big contribution to the morning. But Maddie saw the best in her dad. She said, Daddy, you preached a great sermon. You did a great job. Really, that's what families are supposed to do. Bring out the best in each other. Encourage each other. Call out in each member of the family what you could be. See the potential and the vision and then encourage the heck out of you. And that's what we're talking about this morning. Because on the other side of that, isn't it true that families can sometimes bring out the worst in us? Uh, We are so close to each other, we spend so much time with each other that of all the people around you, your family probably has the capacity to bring out the worst in you. Think back, have you ever finished a conversation and said, I can't believe I just said that? Or I can't believe I just did that? I can't believe I just threw that? I can't believe I just stormed out? Have you ever had those types of situations? Yeah, they're not easy. They're actually really painful and really difficult because family has the capacity to bring out the best in us, but too often, Family brings out the worst because we don't know how to treat each other well. So this morning we're going to talk about some keys to treating each other well, but I want to tell you the foundation of it. And really it's the foundation of this whole series. It's that your family is a blessing from God. Your family is a blessing. Your family is a gift from God to you. If we don't believe that, if we have not internalized that into our lives, we will not be able to do the things that we're talking about in this series, to treat each other well, to put each other first, until we know that our families are a blessing and a gift. Guys, look what the Bible says about your wives in Proverbs 18, verse 22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. That word favor in the original language actually means a gift. So the author saying, if you find a wife, you find a gift directly from God to you. Parents, look what the Bible says about your kids. 
in Psalm 127. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is their reward. So having children in and of themselves is a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man who has a quiver full of children. They will not be ashamed when they speak to their enemies at the gates. So God's saying, you're blessed if you have one kid. I can tell you because I'm a twin, you are extremely blessed if you have twins. It's an incredible thing. And he goes so far as to say, you're blessed if you have a quiver full of kids. Now we have to know in the ancient time when this was written, 23 arrows fit into a quiver. Which lets you know why the Bible doesn't say how blessed is the woman who has a quiver full of kids. But how blessed is the man who has a quiver full of kids? Friends, don't miss this. Family is an incredible blessing and gift from God. It is not something to take for granted. It is not a leftover. It is not something that you have to do or a duty. Family is a gift. And we have to know that deep within us if we are going to live out the things that we're talking about in this series. Too many families in our society, and even in the church, sadly, don't believe that truth. We just don't see our family as a gift, at least not on a regular basis. We see our family as a duty, as a responsibility, as a drag, as something that is keeping us from experiencing our dreams. And what's the result of that? Families treat each other like trash. And it breaks God's heart. It really does. Because God wants so much more for you. God wants so much more for your kids. God wants so much more for our world. He created us to experience an incredible life with our family. So we're going to look at three ways that we can grow in our ability to treat each other well. But before we do that, I want to share with you a principle from the Bible. And that is the principle that we reap what we sow. It's a planting term, and what it means is that what you put into the ground, the seed you put in, will produce the crop that you get out of the ground. Another way to say it would be what goes around comes around, right? Now, we're not talking about karma. We're talking about a biblical principle that the things that you put into your life, the things that you put into your family, will generally come back as a result, sometimes good, and if you plant bad things, sometimes bad. If you plant a good harvest, you will experience joy excuse me, joy and love and friendship. And if you, if you put in dysfunction, you will experience pain. Sometimes it's a pain in the neck. Sometimes the pain's a little further south. But you will experience pain. It'll sink in. <laughs> By the way, this is a good time to say that our senior pastor is not here this morning. He's in Windsor on vacation. Uh, so... He might be watching me right now, yeah. So is my daughter. Let's keep that in mind, people. Let's keep that in mind. The principle of sowing and reaping is especially true with our families. It really is. And we need to remember that what we put in, we will get out. And so the first thing that extraordinary families do to treat each other well is they pay attention to each other. They pay attention to each other. In Romans 12, Paul says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. The idea of being devoted means that you are totally present. That no one in the family ever has to question, is mom here in, mind, or in body only, or is she here in body and mind? Is dad just here physically, or is he actually engaging with me? 
Paul says, be devoted to each other in love. Be totally present with each other. Be in the moment with each other. Give each other your best. Studies have shown that dads who are actively engaged with their kids, uh, their kids tend to have a higher IQ than dads who are distant, than dads who are separate, who are pulled back, who sit back and just watch the TV or read the newspaper. But the sad reality is that dads on average only spend an hour and 15 minutes a day with their kids. Now dads, I'm not picking on you. I'm a dad too. I work full time. I understand how busy life can be. But isn't that all the more reason why when we're with our families, we have to be fully engaged with them? We have to be totally connected with them. We have to be there 100%. For each of these points, I'm going to give some practical suggestions, some things that we can do to make it happen. And so some practical suggestions for being completely with our family is be present in the moment. And Ron said a few weeks ago something that for some of us may have been a little difficult to hear. He said, we should start having family dinners together at least three times a week. Remember, in those family dinners, we're turning off our phone, we're turning off our computer, we're turning off the TV. Can I tell you that 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 might be a high bar for some of us, but God sets a bar that is infinitely higher. He says every moment that you're with your family, be completely engaged. I know that I've upset at least a few of you, and I apologize right now for what I'm about to say, because I I am sorry that I've upset you. Uh, But I don't answer my phone generally on the weekends when you call. For at least a day and a half. I try to take a day and a half where I don't answer the phone. I'll see you calling. I'll let it go to voicemail, and I'll check it. And if it's an emergency, I absolutely will call you back. I I want nothing more than to be with you if you're going through pain, to pray with you, to guide you, uh, to sit with you and to grieve with you, or to celebrate with you. But the truth is, if I answered every phone call with someone who had a question about the next church picnic or when do life groups start, I would never be present with my family. And you don't want a pastor who is not engaged with his family. Am I correct? And, and so I wait. And you'll notice that I respond to you on Monday morning promptly. I get right back to you. But it's because I'm trying to put into the practice the things that I'm learning. I'm trying to be fully engaged with my family. Can I tell you, some of us in this room might need to tell our bosses, I'm not going to answer my phone on the weekends. I know it's hard. I know that I might miss a sales call. I know that I might miss some commission. But I need to be fully present with my family. That's a commitment that I'm going to make today. So the first thing we can do is be fully engaged by turning off our phones. We have things called a voicemail. It used to be something called an answering machine. I don't know if you remember that. But we would go out with our families, and people could not get a hold of us. And so they would just leave us a message. And go figure, the world still turned. People still survived. We're still here. Another thing that we can do is pay attention to body language when we're with our families. We can tell a lot about family by what each member is doing. So I want to encourage you, become a student of each member of your family. Watch them. See what they're doing. Know their signs. Know their tells. Know if they are upset or excited or angry, if they have questions or thoughts. Become a student. Start with your spouse if you're married, and then go to your kids. It will not only increase your family dynamic, it will be better for your marriage. And then pay attention to words. That's a key God gave us this great thing called the spoken word, spoken language. He wants us to pay attention to it. The things that we say matter. Don't let things go under the table. If a family member says something, ask them about it. That's the next thing. Ask questions. Ask questions that draw people out. I don't know about you, but when I sat at the table with my family, they would ask me questions, and yes and no was not an appropriate response to those questions. Right? They would ask questions that that drew out a response. Tell me about your day instead of how was your day? How was your day? It was fine, you know. 
tell me about your day. Well, this kid tried to beat me up. wasn't all that exciting. This is my story, not yours. Uh, you know, but then I beat him up in the end. No, no, no. I want to encourage you, if you, you have trouble figuring out what to say to your wife or your kids, what questions to ask, start making a list. When you're having your devotional times with the Lord, ask God, God, what would you want me to talk to my family about this week? And then start to write down specific questions to draw out each member of your family. The second key thing that extraordinary families do to treat each other well is that extraordinary families give lots of affirmation. Lots of affirmation, of encouragement. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 says, Do not let any, and I want you to underline that word any, circle it, highlight it, do whatever you have to do. Do not let any, none, nada, zip, zilch, zero, none. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. When I was a kid, I, I banged my front tooth pretty hard, and it came loose. And then it kind of hardened back up inside the gum, so we thought everything was fine. Well, eventually the root died. And when the root died, the tooth began to decay. It turned gray, and it finally fell out, and it smelled. It was a disgusting, disgusting thing. That word, unwholesome, when the author says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, it literally means decay. Do not let anything come out of your mouth that will cause decay in a relationship. Do not allow yourself to say anything that would deaden a relationship, that would hurt what you're trying to build, that would hurt what God is trying to do. Paul says it this way in 1 Thessalonians, encourage one another, build each other up. Don't let anything that would decay your relationship come out of your mouth, but build each other up. And I got to tell you, this is one of the hardest commands in the entire Bible for me to follow. I'm a talker, and it's, I think, a great gift. It gives me the ability to do what I do with you, but it's also a growth area for me because my mind is always going. People say things, and I'm immediately ready to start snapping back, to start saying things back, especially when uh, they hurt my feelings or I misunderstand what they're trying to tell me. But the more sensitive I become to God, the more I sense him leading and guiding and nudging me, the more I sense him speaking to me. Can I tell you what he oftentimes says to me? Be quiet. Don't say that. Sometimes he's even more direct with me, but we're in church, so I'm not going to tell you what he tells me says nothing good will come out of that. Just this weekend, someone said something to me, and I took it the wrong way, and I got all bent out of shape, and I was ready with two or three things that I was going to say back to him. I really was. But right in that moment, God whispered to me, just be silent. And so I sat there with all of the thoughts running through my head for about five minutes. And then I said to him, hey, what did you mean when you said, and I told him what they said, and the person said to me, Oh, well, I meant this. And it was something totally benign, totally kind, didn't mean anything by it. But I almost opened up a can of worms that would not have been good. But God said, don't say it. Let no unwholesome talk flow from your mouth except for that which builds your family up. And our families desperately need that today. We really do. Parents, our kids need us to encourage them, to affirm them to see what they're dreaming about, bring it to the surface, and tell them they can do it. Husbands, your wife needs you to encourage her. She needs you to lift her up, to build her up. 
She needs you to tell her about the value that she adds to your life. And she needs it on a regular basis. She needs you to tell it to her in private. She needs you to tell it to her in public. She needs you to tell it to her in front of the kids so that the kids know that you guys are one unit, that nothing will separate you, that nothing will divide you. And wives, your husbands need it too. They really do. Most guys wouldn't say this, so I'm going to say it for them. One of the best ways that you can communicate love to your husband and build your husband up is by respecting him and by believing in him. Respect the man he is and believe in the man that he's becoming. I can't tell you the number of guys who have told me in private, man, when my wife believes in me, I feel like I can do anything. I feel like I could push that boulder up the hill, no problem. If my wife has my back, I feel like I can do it. But it's so sad if I was to ask a lot of wives, and I'm not saying you, but in general, a lot of wives, hey, tell me five incredible things about your husband. I think they'd have a hard time. But if I was to ask them, tell me five things that bother you about your husband, man, they would be shooting things at me. <laughs> Friends, that grieves God. It, it, I mean, it's funny, but it grieves God. We should not sit around, husbands or wives, saying all the things that bother us about our spouse to everybody who will listen. That is not God's design. But you might be saying, you know what? You don't know my husband. There's nothing uh, in him for me to respect. There's not a whole lot I can believe in in my husband. Can I tell you two things? One, we're starting a relationship series on September 11th called Bad Dates, Roommates, and Soulmates. Get your husband here. Listen to it together. Start to put it into practice. It will transform your marriage. And two, I want to encourage you, look for what you can respect. It may be small and it may be hidden, but find what you can and then communicate it to him. Because the truth is, there should be no one in the world that respects your husband more than you do. If everyone around him respects him more than you, your marriage is going down the wrong path. And I, I don't mean to pick on wives, so I apologize. Husbands, it's the same thing for you. But God is calling us to better. He really is. He says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, only that which builds others up. So a few practical suggestions. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Mom was right. She really was. Here's one of my life verses. It's Proverbs 17, 28. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. What a great promise for people who talk too much. <laughs> Even fools are thought wise if they would just be quiet. And they're thought discerning if they knew how to hold their tongue. Another thing you can do is find at least one kind and affirming thing to say to each member of your family every day. I want you to go ahead and write down every family member's name right there on your paper, maybe at the bottom, maybe on the side, every family member's name. And then I want to encourage you, do a tally. Try to do seven kind words to your family members this week. Say seven kind and uplifting things. Try to get deeper than I love you. I love you is an incredible thing to say. So say that, but also say something in particular. I really appreciate you for this. I really value the way that you do that. You are becoming so incredible in this area. It will transform your marriage. The third thing that extraordinary families do to treat each other well is extraordinary families are transparent about their problems and their failures. Galatians 6 says, carry each other's burdens. In this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. What's the author talking about? The law of Christ is to love God with everything you have and to love your neighbor as yourself. That is the ultimate law. If we 
uh, carry each other's burdens in love, we fulfill that law. And I know this can be hard for a lot of us, guys especially, but women too. I know it can be hard to share failures. We have all these thoughts going through our heads. What are they going to think if I tell them that? It's going to crack this picture frame that they have of me. Will they ever believe in me? Will they ever respect me again if I'm honest with them about my fears and my failures, my hurts and my hang-ups? The truth is, if we're honest about our shortcomings, it communicates authenticity to our families. Remember, I said what goes around comes around. It's the principle of reaping and sowing. If your kids never hear you talk about where you're scared, where you've been hurt, difficult things in your life, you can almost guarantee that they're going to get into their their teenage years and you're going to ask them, how are you? And they're going to say, fine. Because they think they have to have it all together because mom and dad have it all together. The truth is, none of us have it all together. That's why we need the Savior. That's why we need God. So we need to be honest about our shortcomings. Now there's wisdom in not telling your kids every marital problem, everything that happens at work, every pastor that ticks you off. There's wisdom in that. But we should be honest about our lives. We need to discern what to tell our families, but we need to tell our families what's going on. I remember one of the most uh, powerful times that my family had when I was growing up uh, being drawn together was one day, and I was a teenager, my brother and I were probably 14 or 15, and we were getting into it, and uh, then my mom came in and we started talking, and then my dad came in, and it seemed like all three of us turned on him. It was like we were going here, and then all of a sudden he came, and we all just unleashed the fury on him. And dad sat there, and dad really was good at holding his tongue. He, I really appreciate and respect that about him. He sat there and he listened. And after a while, he, he kind of started to tear up a little bit, and I hadn't seen my dad cry much. He said, you know what? When you guys are saying this, I feel like the whole family is against me right now. And when he was honest about the hurt that that caused him, it drew our family together in an incredible way. It ended the fight. It ended the conflict. He was just honest. What you're saying is hurting me deeply. And it drew us together as a family unit. And that's what God wants. God wants you to draw together as a unit. So how can we do that? Well, create a family atmosphere of honesty and grace by sharing both successes and failures. One idea would be while you're at dinner each night or three times a week with your family and your cell phones and computers and TVs are turned off, when you're having dinner, Start saying what was the best thing about your day and what was the hardest thing about your day. That opens the door for successes and failures. And then we need to encourage family members to take healthy risks. It's okay to take risks. We should not be fear-based. We should not be afraid of failure because failure is a part of life. And so we should view problems and failures as solvable and temporary. You may fail at something, but you are not a failure. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. That is your identity. You may try something and fail. Thomas Edison was asked once about his failures, and he said, I didn't fail. I learned 10,000 ways that things don't work. That's great. That's great. He learned what doesn't work so he could get to what does work. That's part of it. That's part of life. We set our families up for success when we let them know that failing is a part of life and we need to grow and develop through it. And then the last thing is we give advice tactfully. Man, how many guys wish they had heard that when they first got married? Give advice tactfully. She might not be asking for an answer. She might just want you to listen. So listen, engage, 
Ask God, God, how should I respond in this moment? And then ask the person with the problem, how would you like me to respond? Are you looking for an answer or a solution? Or do you just want someone to listen and pray with you? And then follow those cues. I want to close with the words of Peter as we head into communion this morning. And and I love Peter. I resonate with Peter. He was a man of extreme passion. He loved God in an incredible way. He was brave. He was impulsive. He was a loudmouth. And I love Peter. Through the course of his journey with Jesus, uh, he began to understand one of the keys to building healthy relationships. And he shares it in 1 Peter chapter 2, where he says this. He's talking to believers. He says, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Christ committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When people hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to God who judges justly. If you want to have an extraordinary family, a family that actually treats each other well, it is our responsibility to lead the way. I guarantee there are going to be times in your life when your family treats you unjustly. It may be your spouse. It may be your kids. It may have been five years ago. It may have been five minutes ago. The question is, how will we respond? Will we respond by not retaliating? By not returning threats? By not passing judgment on the person who may be treating us unjustly? Or will we lose it? Remember, we talked about the reality that what goes around comes around. We reap what we sow. If we open the door, if we lose it, we give our family the open the door to lose it too. So if we want to have extraordinary families that treat each other well, we need to lead the way. We need to never give ourselves permission to just lose it. Some of you are probably sitting here this morning and you're thinking, man, this series is great. You are encouraging the things I'm already doing. I really feel like I'm doing great because a lot of you are. Can I tell you, I look up to so many of you as parents. I've been a parent for close to three years. Some of you have been a parent for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. And I look up to you. I want to tell you, if you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, this series has really encouraged me. It's helped me make some small corrections, but really God is saying, you're doing the right thing. I want to say, keep doing the right thing. As we head into communion this morning, as we take this piece of bread and this cup of juice that Jesus says is his bread and his body that was given for us, I would hope that you would celebrate what Christ is doing in your life if you fall into that category. But some of us are here this morning and we need some major directional change in our families. Our families are broken and they're hurting. And as we look at it from the outside, they may seem like they're beyond repair. Can I tell you that as you take communion together, remember the miracle of Christ's sacrifice? That he died on a cross and rose from the dead and broke the power of sin and death and destruction in the world, in your life, and in your family. And he can do a miracle for you today. So there may be some of us here this morning as we take communion, we need to thank God for his sacrifice and ask God for a miracle. Because God wants to do it. He wants to heal He wants to redeem. He wants to restore. And then the third group of us here today, uh, you may be listening to this and the advice sounds good and the things we're talking about sound good, but you've never actually come into a relationship with God. 
And by that, I don't mean that you haven't come to church off and on for your entire life. What I mean is you have not come into an intimate, personal, passionate relationship with Jesus Christ, where he is dwelling within you, where he is guiding you, where he is leading you on this journey, and where he's giving you the power to be the kind of person that you want to be. If you're in that category this morning, can I tell you this is good news as we take communion? Jesus died on a cross and rose from the dead to break the power of sin and to make a way for you to come into relationship with God. And there may be some of you here this morning who God's tugging at your heart. He's stirring. He's saying, come to me. You can't do this whole family thing apart from me, so don't try. Just come to me and let me guide you. If that's you, I encourage you, take this piece of bread, take this cup of juice. Remember that Jesus sacrificed his life so that you could come into relationship with him and then invite him into your life. You can pray a simple prayer, something like this. God, I want to be in relationship with you. Would you please come into my life and lead me and guide me? Thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. The Bible says that God will come in and he will dwell with you. He will be with you and he will guide you on this journey. Would you pray with me as we take communion? And then I encourage you to do some business with the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for the things that you're teaching us about family and about friendship and about relationships. Lord, thank you for the blessing and the gift that our families are. Not just our kids who we are raising, but our parents who came before us, our siblings, our cousins. Thank you that you placed us in families. Lord, for those of us whose families have a large amount of pain and hurt and dysfunction, whether it's our immediate family or our extended family, we ask for healing, God. We ask for a miracle. We ask that you would come and transform and redeem. Lord, for those of us who are here this morning who aren't in a relationship with you, I ask, Holy Spirit, even now as we pray, that you would be drawing them to yourself, that you would be stirring in their hearts and in their lives, and that you would be calling them to yourself. Lord, we remember your sacrifice, that you gave your life freely so that we could come into relationship with God. We say thank you, Lord. Would you now take our lives and mold us and form us into the men and women that you created us to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.